In our study of 2 Corinthians this morning, we are at another turning point. Um, 2 Corinthians it can, can be divided into three parts. Uh, chapter 1 through 7 is uh, Paul's joyful greeting and defense, uh, knowing that the problem, problematic Corinthian church uh, who opposed and doubted Apostle Paul's apost apostolic uh, authority because of severe letter he sent, and they repented. And Titus reported back that good news. And in response to that, he was writing Second Corinthians. So chapter 1 through 7 is a lot of joy, confidence in you, those languages there. Um, as well as he's taking this opportunity to explain the nature of his ministry as well. Chapter 8 and 9 was the second part, which was about giving. A year ago, they promised to give to the uh, Jewish uh, Christians in Jerusalem church because of famine and persecution. persecution uh, they were suffering quite a bit. And then Apostle Paul encouraged them. They promised. Now, they, having resolved the relational issues, uh, he wanted to encourage them again. So, uh, chapter 1 through 9 seems to be flowing in the same mood. But today, we're beginning chapter 10 through chapter 13 feels totally different. The mood changes. Um, but because of that, there's some doubts about whether this is one letter or two letters. So as we begin this uh, new section, allow me to read the passage. Today's text is chapter 10, verse 1 through 6. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I, who I am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away, I beg of you, that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our welfare, warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your ob obedience is complete. So even... Continuing on from chapter 9, this passage not only feels different, 
but obscure a bit. So let's make some quick observations before we delve into the passage. Number one, it is the beginning of a new unit of thought, as I mentioned. And some scholars ha used to say, uh, this is part of another letter, probably the severe letter that Paul wrote before this. Maybe this is part portion of that. Or some other uh, people will say, chapter 1 through 9 was sent, and this is another additional letter somehow got attached in. But more recently, most scholars would agree that if we put ourselves in that cultural context, and Paul heard the good news, and in response, in, in, uh, he wanted to write a letter, but it's a lengthy letter. No one would sit and write the whole thing in one sitting. Moreover, because of his eyesight, um, often most of his letters he dictated. Somebody else was writing it and he dictated. And then uh, general consensus of the scholars these days is that chapter 1 through 9 was written in one time as, um, and the time has passed and the fickle Corinthians turned back because of false apostles criticizing about Apostle Paul and about things that they are teaching, the mood changes again. Same old problem came up. And um, maybe not everyone, but still the minority of that Corinthian church was following and being lured away from the true gospel, that he is on it now. So because of that, it, it is another Paul's defense and stern warning against the po uh, false apostles as I mentioned due to the fickle Corinthians reverting to the criticism against Paul. Thirdly, it is filled with military language. Uh, not to mention weapons, strongholds, every thought, taking every thought captive. That's when you uh, capture the castle and the whole village or whole town, whole city. And you, kept, uh, you, you take them as a captives into the back home as uh, part of the, the glorious winning trophies as slaves and spoils. But if we pay a little closer attention, what he's writing in this portion of the text is extremely relevant to our spiritual warfare. 
in today's world. Because as you know, even in just, just in the United States, there are so many different kinds of ideas and ideologies and opinions and beliefs, uh, religions, cults, are rising up against the true knowledge of God. At this point, I just want to say uh, something obvious that text is teaching, but the culture has distorted our mind, including Christians, what spiritual warfare is all about. What do you think about when you think about spiritual warfare? Exorcism, demonic presence, praying over your house or your office or something like so the sort of the things that, that um, the charismatic movement people do all the time, as if this is the main spiritual warfare. Today's passage is the most common spiritual warfare that we are engaged in. I'm not denying the presence of demonic presence or evil spirit, but Satan is far more smarter than we give him the credit. He will not have horns and come after us telling us that we are attacked by Satan. Uh, the obscurity of um, his tactic and scheme is behind ideology, behind beliefs. So as we think about what's going on in United States today in Southern California. Have you ever wondered how come Jesus casted demons out all the time or we don't see that around here? Or we must not have spiritual warfare around here. No, actually, the, in the thick of every church, we're under attack. Our church is under attack because of the idea is becoming stronghold behind which people hide, hide against any kind of true knowledge of God. Why? The true knowledge of God compels us to submit, fall down on our knees, and surrender our control and will to God. What's going on behind the news and behind politics, behind polarization of today's world and United States is actually spiritual warfare. And that's happening in the churches. Not just in Korean church, Corinthian churches. So we want to draw principle that we could take. There are at least three key principles in uh, key principles of engaging in spiritual warfare even in today's world. Here's number one. Principle, principle number one, the overriding principle in engaging in spiritual warfare is the meekness and gentleness of Christ. 
that kind of throws us off, right? Um, verse 1, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away, I beg of you that when I'm present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect of us walking according to the flesh. Now notice that he's about to come back to the stern warning again. But there's a the front that he brings out is a gentleness, meekness. In spite of this criticism that he was getting. You know that um, I who am humble when face to face with you but bold towards you when I'm away is his sarcasm. That was the criticism he was receiving from the Corinthians because of maybe false uh, apostles planted those words to them. Oh, when he showed up, he didn't do anything. He doesn't look anything as a charismatic leader. He didn't even assert himself last time, remember? When he had a tearful visit. Someone opposed him. And Corinthians didn't do anything. And instead of him using authority of apostle, he took it and went away. He didn't even fight and debate. And they called it as a, he's wimpy. He's humble. Not humble in a good sense of humility of Christ, but the servant-like, lowly. He doesn't know how to stand up. But when he goes away, look at his letter. He is furious and he's sharp and bold. If I heard things like that, I will use something like this in the beginning. Chapter 10. Not Apostle Paul, but Paul Kim Virgin. In the name of Jesus Christ, who sent me as an apostle, in the sovereign power of our God and Lord, I command you, listen to me. You guys are laughing because I talk like that sometimes. <laughs> but he will say, in the meekness of gentleness of Christ, See, we need to understand spiritual warfare is absolutely paradoxical. It's not gearing up, taking up more uh, weapons in terms of uh, the, the things that we are all known for when you're about to fight. Violence, anger, sharp tongue, all that. Was not his operational operational mode, overriding principle. Well, I'm going to visit you when I visit you. I'm going to scold and be stern to the apostle, the false apostles, 
and those people who ran astray, I have a favor to ask you. I really don't like to do that. Don't make me do that. The question is why? Because he was not only an apostle sent by Christ, but he was a passionate follower of Christ. Passionate follower, disciple of Christ and Christ's way, Christ's character, Christ's likeness. At the center of Christ's likeness is meekness and gentleness. Meekness is a humility with strength. When you have so much power, but you are humble, you are controlled. Not because you cannot bark at people, knock them down, but because of your hum humility, it controls your temper. Like a lion or a tiger picks up her cup, the sharp teeth. You know, they could puncture and kill us instantaneously, but they will, the mother tiger will pick up her cup with gentleness, the power in control, in self-control. And the word gentleness is a similar word the root word for this gentleness is, has to do with forbearance. Forbearing patience. Oh boy, do I need that. The older I get, I become more aware of my impatience. Sometimes I like to think of it as uh, God-given personality, I'm more goal-oriented and passionate, and I'm not wishy-washy. And but to be honest, the sin nature in me, expressed through me, is impatience. I become harsh. That's not the way we are to fight spiritual warfare. Of course, Jesus turned the table in money changers in the temple and he made a whip and chased them out. The meekness is not inability to stand up for the right things. The right, at the right moment, the anger is good anger. We, should, we ought to be angry about the evil, about the injustice, about racism, about prejudice. About the people who are being taken advantage and used. About the people who cannot speak for themselves. A 
about people who are abused and misused because of sexism. But going back again, the paradoxical nature of engaging <coughs> spiritual battle, that we're fighting for Christ, but not in worldly way, but in Christ's way, and by Christ po Christ's power, not man's power. Principle number two, as we... Um, before we go on to number two, this is what Jesus said. And this is not only command to the 12 disciples, but to, to all the disciples, including you and me. These are the very words of our Lord Jesus, whom we are following. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Humble. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So one way to think about taking this overriding principle into our spiritual warfare when you disagree with your wife or your husband, do you take meekness and gentleness as the front overriding principle? When you have personality clashes and conflicts in your home group, in your men's group, women's group, do you take lowly in heart? Are you gentle? Or are you all about American ways, standing up for your right and be assertive? Shall we become more religious people or shall we become more Christ-like people? What good is it that we are zealous and fervent about ministry, about building church, about growing numbers in our, in our congregation if we don't have Christ-likeness in our character, in the, in the way that we fight? Principle number two, in waging war, we are to choose to use not worldly weapons, but spiritual weapons that destroy strongholds against the truth of God. The worldly weapons, you could think of it as men's weapons. The spiritual weapons, God's weapons. The, God, the weapons that we do not have ourselves, that we need to rely on God's power to receive that. Listen to what Paul is saying in 
end of verse 2, some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh, though for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh. I'm sorry, waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The, the same word that he's using, but he's using a play of words. The first word that he was accused by, uh, Paul's walking according to the flesh. So in other words, he has no charisma. He is just mere human frailty and he's walking. He's not spiritual like us. The gifts that they have and tongue and other things that he mentioned as the uh, the forte of those false super apostles. And responding to that, he used that same word in two different ways. First of all, he said, though we walk in the flesh. That is simply saying, yes, we are walking in human frailty. The Greek word is sarx. Usually, the most of uh, other New Testament uh, uses that Paul's using is for sin nature. <coughs> but it could be, in this time, what he's saying is uh, the actual flesh, our flesh, humanness, in other words. Yes, I would admit I'm not super natural. I'm a natural man. <laughs> I have a frailty and brokenness. But as soon as he said that, he says, we are not waging a war according to the flesh. Now, this time he means in a worldly way, selfish way, uh, sarks in sinful way. And then he says, let me share my weapon for the weapons of our warfare and out of the flesh, in other words, it's not worldly weapons. It's not men's weapons. But it, our weapons have a divine power to destroy strongholds. Lest we think, uh, sometimes this analogy goes off the wall and think that tanks and, you know, machine guns, and maybe back in the days, you know, arrow and um, sword, that kind of thing. Contextually, you need to think about what, what does he mean here? Men's prideful, uh, smart ways at using methods, human ingenuity, charisma, charismatic personality, commanding of the all author authority, oratory skill, Showmanship, emotional manipulation, maybe a little bit of a darkness and music and other things. It all sounds familiar because churches around us, that's really happening. If we're not careful, we could depend on human methods, human weapons as well. 
the, the temptation is a lure is it works on the surface. The number will grow. X like, X, it acts like there's more people coming onto you, coming back to your side. But in reality, the strongholds are not broken down at all. The beliefs and selfishness and the stubbornness of us, egocentricism is there. You will never be, be broken down. And our spiritual weapons come from God. And it has a divine, divine power. Only this weapon can destroy strongholds. And once again, strongholds is fortress, military language. Lord of the Rings comes to my mind. Do you remember, like, picture, the wall is the first defense, but they do all kinds of things to climb the wall and, and all that. So wall can, over, can be overcome by the enemy, but within the wall, there's another stronghold, a extremely secure tower that few soldiers, warriors can defend. And the kings and other important people are, could hide and feel secure in that. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying there are strongholds by, by which people hide behind. Even in this world, even in our congregation, I know of some of our parents who were lured and t turned away from biblical Christianity, the cultic idea, similarly, uh, around us, even Mormonism, a Jehovah's Witness. And back in the 70s, there was Moonies, Unification Church. I don't know what happened to them. And Oprah's Winfrey uh, religion is, doesn't even have a title for that. The New, new Age. It seems like they are impossible to change. Okay, beyond the religion and other things, the beliefs, how about naturalism? That, that's what dominates the whole secular academia, isn't it? The world is naturalistic. Nothing like supernatural happens. There is not just such a thing, God, angels, supernaturals, and miracles in this world. Only in those people who are They will literally use words and not enlightened, ignorant, not scientific enough. What about in Orange County? Materialism. Materialism is a stronghold that we cannot go to God and kneel down before him, submit to Christ because materialism saves us. Big, bigger house and, and, 
and secure a bank account becomes stronghold. And even within the church, there is um, one sharp conviction that I felt as I'm uh, meditating on th through this passage. I want to convey that by showing you some other verses. Number one, uh, what Paul is saying in other passages about that weapons of the world, the man's weapons, listen how he's determined to turn away from that. Second Corinthians 4.2, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to temper with, with God's word. By the open statement of the truth, we, could, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. 1 Corinthians 2.1, he writes, And I, when I come to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and you know, power. And recently, the semi-Christian blog, and then, you know, uh, on Facebook, all my Christian friends, I, I used to know them as a good church attending Christians, obviously share this thing top 10 list books that everybody should leave, read. No Bible, but Wayne Dyer, um, uh, Stephen Covey, and some other authors that you would readily recognize on the New York's uh, top ten, New York bestseller list, or one of those conferences that you could go to, uh, especially in the TED, Technology and Education Development Conference, the excellent on top of the world, the leading experts. What are we sensing? Even including evangelical pastors and churches, somehow don't have a confidence in the word of God. This really is not a really powerful weapon to, that destroyed the stronghold. We need something else. We need Wayne Dyer's words. The New Age teaching. Self-help books. Oh, then people will be really interested. How about this master storytelling? That's what we need. Uh, for, for those of you um, a keen mind, and that your temptation could be winning over argument, debating non-Christians. We need to just break that. What's wrong with them? 
In Ephesians 6, he spelled it out, what spiritual weapons are. Verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to, con to stand firm. To stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying all at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Did you see that? These are spiritual weapons with God's power. Truth, God's truth. Righteousness, the gospel of peace, living it out and readiness to give it out. And faith, that people really see how we deal with dif differ different uh, difficult circumstances and afflictions, including traumas in our lives. The salvation, helmet of salvation, assurance of salvation, the word of God, prayer. Uh, speaking of prayer, we're studying, all our home groups are st studying in prayer so that we become more aware of our desperate need to pray for church, to pray for sp spiritual warfare, pray for our future facility. We have no idea as of now, zero possibility. In the pockets of our church suffering, their loved ones. You just, you know, know already some of your home group people. And as you as you saw, we are going through a crisis. I mean, I'm really proud of Kate using that shield of faith in this trial. My mother-in-law started a dialysis this week. So we have two, two parents going to dialysis center three times a week. And we have to, Kate gets up at 3.30 in the morning to take them. We're scared to death about their salvation, not to mention their health. Is prayer our weapon? Do you have a trust in it? Is the word of God, when you quiet time sharing, ah, we could just skip it. Of course, nothing happens. We, don't, we must not legalistic. Sometimes you just listen to it while you're driving. Work is fine, but do you believe that whatever the author that you, you like has more power 
some type of reverence. People of God. I'm not just talking to the, the outside of our church. Even inside our church, the spiritual weapons are available to us. If, if we don't value that, it's not going to happen. It's not going to be our daily use. We'll continually turn to something else, aren't we? The last point is really important. Principle number three, our aim in waging war is not to win over people, but to win them over for the Lord by taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your disobedience is complete. He's basically saying, when you obey, I will bring my authority as apostle and I'll, I will punish every disobedience. He, he means literally those false apostles in that church. But do you see this? Sometimes when we think about destroying stronghold and winning the spiritual battle victorious, what was Apostle Paul fighting for in terms of those strongholds? False apostles brought in Christian triumphalism. Modern day version, prosperity gospel. If you really believe God and if you have a faith, you will be healthy, you will become wealthier, you will have no problem in your business, your kids will go to good schools. Only you believe and claim it. That was false apostles' message coming in. And Apostle Paul is saying, our, our end aim is not winning the argument or just win over them. God have mercy on them. What spiritual warfare looks like because of the word of God finally breaking down their obstacles, prideful obstacles, the people kneel before God and acknowledge the lordship of Christ And the battle is won in that sense. Our aim and goal is not we become on top of the non-Christians. We might be treated as losers. But in God's eyes, we're winning because of humility, because of weakness, because we honor the name of Christ. And because by seeing those things, it will break down their wall, the obstacles. Every thought captive to obey Christ.
maybe we need to start doing that for ourselves. There are thoughts in our mind, rebellious, autonomous. We just don't like to depend on God. We want to figure out our way. That we need to take it to Christ and surrender them. And really think about the gospel. And if you really be honest about who you really are, are you so righteous enough? Are you so smart enough that you can stand before God and you can deserve something from God? There is no one, including you and me, apart from mercy of God, could deserve anything. D.A. Carson uh, wrote an entire book on just chapter 10 to 13. Um, I was much benefited by that. So here's a quote that I'm going to end with. Carson writes, argue a skeptic into a corner. And you will not take his mind captive for Christ, but pray for him, proclaim the gospel to him, live out the gospel of peace, walk righteously by faith until he senses your ultimate allegiance and citizenship are vastly different from his own. And you may discover that the power of truth, the convicting and regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, and the glories of Christ Jesus shatter his reasons and demolish his arguments until you take captive his mind and heart to make them obedient to Christ. The result will be a life transformed. Gone will be the principal egocentric city, the self-proclaimed independence, replacing it will be a cheerful and devoted submission to the Lordship of Christ. Only the weapons Paul advocates are sufficient to accomplish so stupendous a task. In the spiritual arena, a successful campaign can be fought only when worldly weapons are self-consciously abandoned. And all our reliance is firmly set on the spiritual weapons which alone have divine power to demolish the strongholds where rebel minds cling to idolatrous, God-rejecting self-sufficiency and manufacture new forms of entrenched evil. Paul sounds a call to return to biblical basics. We need to hear that. Let's not turn to the worldly weapons, the smart way of going through the problems, winning the battles of arguments. Let's turn to spiritual basics. Biblical basics. 
May God's word and prayer be revered and valued in such a way that we are becoming passionate about word-abiding, praying church, living out our righteousness before others without a sense of tinge of pride. Then we could take every every thought captive to obey Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for these spiritual weapons that has a divine divine power. We become so keenly aware of our neglect, our temptation continually lures us from biblical basics to the rhetorics, to charisma, to innovative ways. human ingenuity, our ability to argue logically. Forgive us for our self-reliance. I do pray our church will be turned back on to you and your power, that we long to be a praying church a meek church, a gentle, forbearing church. And make us the people who not only use the weapons that you give us, but sharpens our skills in using that weapons by meditating on your word by walking with you intimately daily, by relying on your Holy Spirit through prayer. Oh God, revive us. Show us your power as we move on. As the people of God, as followers of Christ, We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.